Hello again, gentlemen. Welcome to the first day of Thatch's Thatch Can Style Wrestling. There's a lot of glare coming off that dome of yours. Squirrel nut! What does WrestleMania mean to Brock Lesnar? It's a day that I get to show up, kick somebody's ass, and get paid to do so. Crying out loud, you can't use a thing with you swearing like that. I don't give a damn. I came up here for a purpose to prove some son of a bitch and thing. And I'll tell you what I came to prove, that Lawler didn't have the guts. Hey there, folks. Welcome to Desert Island Comp Series. I am your host, Sam DiMaggio, and joining me on this episode, J.R. Goldberg. J.R., how are you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing good under the circumstances. We just had a, a relatively somber start, but uh, we're recording this literal minutes after the announcement that our beloved friend, uh, Dean Rasmussen, has passed away. But I uh, I cannot think of uh, a better way for me to uh, pay tribute than to talk about some of the matches that we're going to talk about. So I'm prepared to uh, for this to be very personal and uh, and very loving. Um, I know that uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know who Dean is, and um, if you don't. I, uh, I encourage you to search out the man's writing. Um, he's undoubtedly uh, the giant that all of us who've written and talked about wrestling for the past 25 years uh, stood upon the shoulders of. So, um, yeah, shouts out to, to Dean and uh, rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace. I think this is just very surreal. Um... Yeah, And there's this list that we're about to kind of go over feels like, okay, this is a byproduct of <laughs> a certain message board culture. Over yeah. I mean, I, I, I wear my influences on my sleeve. Uh, subtlety is for cowards. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I have, we will talk about the death Valley driver video review um, because it's a, it's a huge part of my life. Uh, it's a huge part of, my formation as a wrestling writer and as a wrestling fan. And I, um, I think it is like you just said, a, a big part of a lot of the matches on this list. And, um, there's stuff that I directly discovered because of that message board. And then there's stuff that I discovered, um, because, the way that that message board made me think about wrestling encouraged me to seek out things that I wouldn't have sought out had I just been a like quote unquote normal fan or something. Um, or, you know, like a fan that spent his time on like the, the observer board or whatever. Right. Um, I, uh, I'm extremely glad and happy that, my life led me to a place where I found somewhere where we wanted to talk and think about wrestling and reassess it 
in a way that made us all sort of like constantly reevaluate the the things not only that we had seen previously in the history of wrestling, but also like what was happening in the present day. And um, it, it affects how I view art, not only in wrestling, but throughout, you know, the rest of sort of culture, you know, music and movies, I'm, you know, all of Dean and Phil Rippa and Phil Schneider and Eric and Rob and everybody else's writing that, that I first read before I even thought to write about wrestling, like permeated through all of that stuff and, and made me who I am, made me who I am as a writer and who I am as a person. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's also just a love of love and care kind of everything they, they did. Um, it always feels like sometimes that gets a little disregarded in the fact that there was a lot of, it was reevaluating things. It was looking at things through a new lens, but also, you know, it typically ended up in the form of appreciation versus doing the work to bring something down. Um, it was yeah. reevaluating Mark Henry to bring that of up. Of course. Yeah. Not to reevaluate a wrestler necessarily to bring yeah, them down I mean, in some cases. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and there was obviously there were sort of negative things, right? And there were there right, were sure. ways that uh, they viewed wrestling where, you know, it probably um, towed the line of, you know, sort of like cool for cool's sake or, um, you know, like actually the this thing that you like sucks or whatever. Uh, but, you know, like by and large, I think everyone that, that like really put time and effort into um, DVDVR and PWO came to wrestling uh, from a really earnest place uh, in a time where like being part of internet culture and critical culture, like everybody else had a, like um, a very sort of like ironic detachment to whatever they were interacting with, you know? Um, and I, I just love how earnest we all ended up being, you know, and I think that was a huge part of Dean's influence, right? He was so unabashedly in love with the things that he loved um, that it, uh, it, it was contagious, right? Um, I think that that's still true to this day that, you know, um, certainly there's things about wrestling and things within wrestling that I dislike. Um, I probably dislike more of it than I like, of course, but um, I think that I've never been afraid as a wrestling fan uh, because of their influence to to say like, hey, this is great and I love it. And like, if you think it's stupid because you value other things about wrestling, you value, you know, people that can do a bunch of flips or whatever, and that's what makes you happy. Like, that's awesome. And I'm happy for you, but it's not what makes me happy. Um, what makes me happy are good punches and, um, and that's it. Right. And, um, that's, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that I found that, um, because I found it at a time where, um, I probably could have been, uh, a worse person, you know, or, or at least a worse, uh, sort of critic of art and media than I am because of DVDVR. And many of us, 
Yeah, you see. Absolutely. Uh, well, we're going to kind of hop into it in a way that I'm sure we're going to, this is not the last we're going to talk about DVD VR, but I want to kind of go a little bit earlier and we're going to start with a question that I kind of ask everyone on this show. Uh, what got you into wrestling kind of first and foremost? Yeah, of course. Um, so I, uh, I think I told a story the last time we did a podcast with me, you and Dan. Um, about how I started watching wrestling so that I would have something to talk about uh, in high school with like the cool kids that I wanted to hang out with, which is such a preposterous statement to make now, you know? Um, so I, I've already shared that story, but I, I think like the, my fandom evolved and changed. Right. Uh, and I, I don't remember truthfully, like what the inciting incidences were for me in terms of, uh, like getting, make, taking a deeper dive. Um, there, there are a couple specific things I remember. Um, (laughs) I remember being a camp counselor, like as a summer job. And one of the campers like knew a ton about wrestling. And I was like, how do you know so much? And he was like, I go to wrestlezone.com, right? Um, and so, like, I started going on WrestleZone, and I had, like, no idea that people talked about wrestling on the internet or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, we had dial-up at my house. It wasn't like I wasn't spending a ton of time on there. Um, so, like, that was probably the first thing. And, like, that was probably the first thing that exposed me to non-televised wrestling, um, you know, because they they would occasionally discuss, uh, you know, things that were happening outside of WWE and WCW. It's probably the first time I heard about ECW, which is probably the first time I heard about Japanese wrestling or Lucha or whatever. Um, I, uh, I probably first like really saw things beyond the the scope of televised wrestling when i went to an ecw house show like just a tour and um uh rf was selling tapes at the show and so i bought a comp tape at the time i think it was like you know best of sabu volume 17 or something like that right but what RF would do on those tapes that he would sell at the show is like an hour of the tape after the comp was just like an hour long, like uh, essentially like greatest hits of like weird shit from Japan, like deathmatch stuff um, to make you want to, and like they wouldn't label any of it. So you had no fucking clue what it was, but like, it all seemed awesome, you know? Um, uh, and so that's probably how I first saw like FMW and IWA Japan and, um, you know, King of the Deathmatch tournament stuff. And, um, uh, that took me to RF's website for the first time. And I, um, I somehow convinced my dad, uh, to purchase me like a five, VHS set of Muda matches. That was probably my first like tape purchase, <laughs> I think. That's that is what I associate with you. I was like, JR. Yeah, 
Yeah. Great Muda. JR loves the Great Muda. Yeah. Um, uh, and that was eye opening, right? I mean, I think that I thought sort of Muda was more cool than good, I guess. But, you know, when you're, when you're young, you don't really know how to formulate opinions. Um, I do remember on one of those tapes, uh, there was like a Hogan match. And I remember just like thinking it was insane, you know, seeing that. Um, uh, and then, um, you know, because I'd ordered tapes through RF, um, I ordered, uh, I read somewhere about the, like the ECWA, uh, tournaments, you know, that like Chris Daniels was winning and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I ordered those tapes. And then when, uh, RF closed all his stores to open ring of honor, um, you know, they sent out like a, a flyer for it and stuff. And so I knew about ring of honor and, uh, and got into those early ring of honor shows. And like, I probably, like I took breaks at various points. Um, but, uh, like realistically from like 2003, 2004 on, I was like very, very into ring of honor and then got more into the American indie wrestling landscape as a whole, as I discovered the like true internet culture of, uh of that wrestling uh i discovered dvdvr strangely at a ring of honor show um because i uh i was in line waiting to buy dvds and like was just making small talk with someone in line and i like mentioned some message board that i was going to at the time and they were like no like i don't really go there i go to dvdvr and so i uh i like remembered it and then like went home and uh you know like read the reviews uh, that they would put up the road reports and stuff. And eventually um, got smart enough to click on the link at the top of the page, which took me to the message board. And, uh, and from there it was all over. Um, there's no going back. There's no going back. Yeah. It's like the matrix, you know, you eat the whatever pill you eat and then it's over for you. I, I never remember which one does which. No, I don't either. I haven't seen it in forever. 20 years. 20 years. Uh, all right. Let's get into it then. Let's hop into our first match up here. Mm-hmm. First up, it's none other than Smojo versus the Necro Butcher from IWA Mid-South. Something to prove from 2005. JR, why did this match make your Desert Island comp? <laughs> I mean... I'm surprised it's not on every single person's Desert Island comp. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I wrote notes for all of these matches so that I didn't come across like a complete buffoon while trying to talk about things that I love. Um, and <clears throat> I found, weirdly enough, that I think this is the hardest match to write about for me um, or come up with sort of cogent points. Uh, because for so long, I mean, for... I don't know, more than 15 years now, um, this match has just been something that I sort of like associate with the pinnacle of this style of American indie wrestling. You know, um, there obviously like when it was happening, I was sort of in the throes of my ROH fandom and I, I don't think I appreciated it in the moment the way that I appreciate it now. Uh, and 
sometimes think that like simpler stuff is better. Um, not that this match is particularly simple, but like uh, even just beyond that stuff, it's it's. I mean, it's just so good, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, there there's a chance that, like, I, I would probably say it's the best match this century. Um, I mean, there's probably other stuff you could argue about, but like, best indie match ever, maybe the single grossest bump you'll ever see. Uh, the the crowd is completely nuts the entire time. I mean, it's probably the hottest crowd I can remember for indie wrestling. Um, the the commentary is like nuts, but it's sort of perfect, right? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, CM yeah. Punk just saying like whatever comes to his mind. There was uh, like I still can hear Punk's cadence when he's talking about why Ian Rotten booked this match, right? Um, I can I can hear Punk name dropping Rob Naylor. Like uh I mean there there's just so many things about this match that that feel special to me. Um and I think the things that feel special about it are things that don't really exist uh anymore or that they've they've become so ever present that they're no longer meaningful, right? Like hearing CM Punk talk about Rob Naylor and by name dropping Rob Naylor, essentially name dropping the death Valley driver video review. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it felt like a confirmation that these guys were listening to us or talking to us, or at least paying attention to what we said on some level. You know, like it made us feel, it made me feel important at the very least. Right. And then like in, I don't know, maybe now people don't see it because wrestling has become so homogenous, but I remember in 2005, like it wrestling felt very indie wrestling, especially felt very like segregated, right? Like um, guys that were in ROH, with few exceptions, like didn't wrestle for IWA in the same way, or like, um, you know, didn't show up in CZW. And like, there were, it felt like there were people that were ROH fans and people that were CZW fans and people that were IWA fans. Right. And excuse me. And just, there were people that just didn't interact. And so seeing Joe and Necro did really feel like, not only like a dream match, but like a novelty, like something that would only happen once, you know? And like, I just don't feel like there's indie dream matches anymore, you know? And for a, a match where, I mean, I don't know, there's probably no world in which these two guys don't just beat the heck out of each other. Right. But like they went hard, you know, in a way that is, sort of unconscionable uh when you look back on it right like it this match maybe more than any other match from that time period like feels like a truly unsafe match that you uh not only probably couldn't have today but certainly shouldn't have today you know yeah it feels like if anyone an independent wrestling try to engage in a match like this egos would immediately get in the way and one of them would just be like oh he's shooing on me i oh yeah i gotta fight back yeah absolutely i mean and, egos would for sure get in the way and then 
like even beyond egos getting in the way, like I, I think the response to this match, r- even in the crowd, like rather than people um, just being so bonkers for it, I think there would be like a tremendous amount of hand rigging from from Twitter, uh, from the live crowd. I mean, I think people would be uncomfortable watching this match today, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, we'll never know because no, no, yeah. no one can engage in this type of act right now. There is no peak Samoa Joe. There is no necro butcher. Um, yeah, I mean, they're still going, right? <laughs> I mean, which is weird. I yes. wonder what that match would look like in 2023. Rob Black, come on, book it now. Yeah. The MAGA Butcher versus Sojo. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? Who knows? Who knows? It, it might be okay. It might be okay. I don't know. They're, I haven't liked a Joe match in probably 10 years, so. Wild. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> I think he's I know. totally okay in the year I, There's like people out there that were, that like loved those Lesnar matches and stuff. I'm like, I don't know. These are bad guys. I don't, I don't know what you're watching, <laughs> but. Um, none of those, spoiler alert, made my Desert Island come. Dang. Um, uh, I know that. Also, I'll also say, and like maybe this is um, egotistical, uh, but like I think there was a period when I was writing about wrestling that uh, people like closely associated me with Necro Butcher. And I know that, like, um, y- you know, for, for Necro Butcher, obviously, is not a great person and uh has become an even worse one due to his sort of open uh love of right-wing politics um but um i like i'll say for me like engaging with the necro butcher as a wrestling fan uh like who like very openly read my writing about him and would email me about it and like you know, uh, has told me on multiple times that like I was a writer who like got what he was going for and stuff like that. I mean, that was tremendously important for me, not only just from like an ego standpoint, but like, you know, it, it, it made me feel heard. It made me feel understood in a way that I think he felt understood. Um, and, uh, that was immensely meaningful. And I think on a desert Island, it would be nice to have a reminder of, uh, of something like that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It just happens to be also a kick-ass match. One of the most kick-ass matches ever. Oh, man. Yeah. I think when I was putting this together, too, there's like a couple matches that have this sort of like weird pace to them that are on here. I think I like this just sort of insane sprint with, uh, you know, concussive blows. I think that's I think that sums up my wrestling style. It's a good one. It's a good one. It is one. a pretty good one. Yeah. It's hard to mess up. You just you just go for it. You just yeah. go for it. Yeah. Be willing to get uh, a head injury and uh uh you know, spend about ten minutes doing so and I'm in. I still can't believe that IW Mintself just puts this up for free and does both the version with commentary and without commentary. Yeah, it's just on YouTube. It's just on YouTube. I think all but one of these matches that are that are on my comp are just on YouTube, by the way. 
that's a nice little nice little bonus for anyone. Yeah, you can watch nine of the ten with uh with with no no issue whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, so that is Joe versus Necro. Jr. Do you have anything else you'd like to add before we move on to match number two? No, I think I think I've said my fill on that one. All right, here we go for match number two. We have. I and you're correct me if I'm wrong, just because I didn't have all the information on this one. Super Porky and Santito and uh, Nico versus uh, Rey Mysterio Senior, Halloween and Damian Six 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 from uh, Tijuana, June two thousand and one. Yeah, so it's Super Porky, uh, El Hijo de los Santo, and Sicosis, who at that point was Nicho El Millonario, versus Rey Mysterio Sr., Halloween, and Damian. Yeah. So, why did this match make your Desert Island Cop? Um, so, I knew going in, uh, as I was planning this, that I wanted one match, uh, at least one match, that uh that was like the quote unquote the cocaine was really good that night match <laughs> um and i think this is the ultimate cocaine was great match this the cocaine must have been just like teeth shatteringly great uh because there is absolutely no reason that these guys should have gone this hard for this match and uh i mean i don't know uh, I'm working under the assumption uh, that you have not seen. You would be this. correct. You would be correct. Okay. All right. Uh, it's like it's it's on um, it's on Roy Lucier's YouTube page. It has like s- sub two thousand views. Perfect. <laughs> um, That's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just a match from two thousand one Tijuana, um, and like they all just go hard as fuck. Um, the they work the first fall at like complete warp speed. Super Porky hits a top rope splash for the first fall. Um, like the second fall starts with Porky doing like maybe the single funniest comedy spot I've ever seen with Halloween and Damian. Uh, I mean, it, it's like Santo is in there and he's just like. He's doing completely things that are normal for him that are just insanely magical. And like, I think one of the joys of Santo is watching him on like the biggest possible stages, hitting dives and uh, his like normal spots. And they're like absolutely perfect. And then you find some fan cam of like a match in Tijuana that like he easily could have just slept walked through and he hits the spots with the exact same amount of precision. Um, and, uh, I mean, I, I think that's incredible, you know? Um, I, I think he's the only wrestler on two matches on this, uh, on this comp, by the way, this hypothetical comp. Um, I think that's pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, there's obviously other matches, um, that are like quote unquote objectively better. Like if I, if you had asked me to put together like, uh, you know, Jr. What are the ten best matches of all time? Comp would this be on there? Absolutely not, right? Um, 
I'm not even sure it would be on like a 10 favorite matches comp, you know, but there's something about it that represents to me a uh, specific thing in wrestling that I think is really cool and really important. And that like there are these shows just constantly happening and we're discovering footage uh, at like a, a record rate. And uh, some of that footage is beautiful and has things that uh, we wouldn't otherwise notice or think about. And um, I love that. I love that wrestling is a constantly changing and growing archive um, that we have at our fingertips. And I love too um, that this match is like a, 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 a nice sweet little reminder that you can put in equal effort in moments where the lights are really bright and uh, moments that you could probably still get credit for turning in C minus work. Um, but sometimes it's worth it to, to still, you know, put in the a effort for those, those things. I mean, I'm a pretty sedentary person by nature. I think I'm not super ambitious, but um, I, I like having that, that reminder to me that like, you know, every once in a while you just, you can try hard. You don't, you don't need an exterior motivation to do so. So. And it's when I was looking up this match to kind of go over it real quick. Mm-hmm. Being, I did not have time to watch it. The review on Sigma came up. Uh, part of their final footage Fridays. And mm-hmm. we're going to talk and continue to talk just like, discovery finding things this kind of being what this match sort of represents to you on this list and i think this is kind of the point of the desert comp series it's not to pick your 10 favorites not to pick your 10 best if you want to treat it like that absolutely we do that but for most folks that come on here that's not the goal they want variety they also want something that speaks to a specific part of their fandom and this is something that's just was kind of dug up a few years ago, more or less. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. It's already got kind of like the stickiness with you that it's already got this. Like, oh, yes, this is something that speaks to me on a kind of fundamental level and brings sort of a different aspect of wrestling to you here. As far as just like, okay, it's a show maybe outside of most eyeballs and that the fact that someone had to find the footage of it to begin with kind of speaks like this was not something that was going to be seen by the greatest amount of people on earth by wrestlers that are far more notorious more have far more notoriety than they need to kind of expel the energy on something like this yeah they did and that is just a lovely, lovely thing. And this will be my kind of moment to say, hey, if you haven't checked out the Found Footage Friday series, it is up to date. It's still going. It's been going for about four years. and Five years, actually, now. And it's just a treasure trove of stuff that you can more than likely click on a match and it will direct you to something lovely. Even if it's not great of a wrestling match, Lovely in the sense that, ooh, what a little, what a gem that it exists, and that I can just put my whole dang eyeballs on it 
without much effort at all. So uh, that will be my shot there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I would encourage people to watch this match or at least watch the first like two falls, which is like the first five minutes of the match. You know, (laughs) I mean, uh, it's not long, but like, I think you'd get a sense of just how hard all of them are working and um, how much fun they're having. Uh, There's a sense of, I don't know, this match is joyous to me. And uh, I hope it is joyous to at least one person who is listening to this that hasn't seen it yet. This is one of those matches going to seek out after this. I, we talked, I have conversations with folks like, Hey, how have you not seen Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat from Chinatown Rumble? And I'm like, I just do not have the interest of watching something that <laughs> at best meets expectations. I like yeah, that I mean, a little that's bit a good room. point, right? I mean, like there, there's, I don't know. I, I think you're similar to me. And I think you said this on a previous one of these that I was listening to and that like uh, expectations are like sometimes my own worst enemy, right? And that like, there's a lot of matches that I go in and like, I've been told they're great so many times that there's really only one direction for my opinion to go, you know? Um, so going into something that has like, that you can just have really fresh eyes on can be a really fun thing as a wrestling fan. Absolutely. 100% could not have said it better. All right, Jerry, you ready to get on to match number three? I am. All right. We have Ian Rotten versus Chris Hero from IW Mid-South Loaded from May 4th, 2002. JR, why did this match make your desert island comp? Uh, this match is probably like one of the grossest things uh, I've ever seen. Uh, it's like it's like a horror movie. I it's harrowing. I want to start by saying I do appreciate the now two out of three matches. You started out more or less saying when I ask, hey, why'd you put this on? And you're like, yeah, it's super gross. And that's kind <laughs> gross of the intro yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like it's like watching Solo or Come and See or like one of those <laughs> movies that's just like well known for, for just being like two hours of unending depravity. Um. And, you know, I mean, I, I joke, of course, um, but I, I think that at least for me and my journey as a wrestling fan, um, you know, I didn't grow up in like a conservative or straight laced household, but I certainly didn't grow up in a household where other people really loved or watched wrestling or anything like that. And I grew up in a time when the Attitude Era was really prevalent. And I think that when I first watched wrestling, I think part of the thing that I liked about it was it, it felt like a little bit naughty or, or uh, pornographic or something. Um, it, it felt as though I wasn't supposed to be watching it, that there was something wrong with me watching it. Like I wasn't allowed to, you know, and <laughs> I, I got like a good, you know, sort of like rebellious feeling from, from watching it, you know, and it, it made me feel like I was doing something I wasn't supposed to. Obviously, that's preposterous, but um, that's that's how it made me feel, and um, that was a good feeling for teenage Jr. who didn't break a lot of rules otherwise to to have. And I think as we get more and more into wrestling, especially like televised wrestling, that feeling fades with time, right? 
um, it just becomes part of your, your every day or your life or your every week or whatever. And, uh, occasionally it comes bursting back, you know, you'll see something like, I'm sure there are people that, uh, you know, watch WWE now, uh, and occasionally on a pay-per-view we'll see blood, uh, and, you know, get that same feeling like, Oh, I'm not supposed to be watching this or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, it sort of comes bursting back in this match, you know, like you, you get this feeling in the sense that you're watching something that like is just not quite right. Uh, and not quite what your, uh, sort of social contract with wrestling states, um, that, you know, like you, when you're, when you sign up to watch a wrestling match, you're signing up to, to watch simulated fighting. Right. And that they're not, you know, actually, out to hurt one another uh, in any real fashion, right? And that uh, any actual injuries that occur are due to um, accidents that happen because they're trying to make it look real. And when you watch this match, you don't get that sense. You get the sense that one person is actively trying to hurt the other person. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I said this also about the, the necro match in some way, but like, I think that, uh, uh, Ian Rotten for better or for worse is a wrestler that I've become pretty closely associated with, uh, in terms of like the whole meth lab battle arts thing. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I would want this match on a comp because I, I would want a reminder of, of writing that I'm proud of, I guess. Um, but beyond that, I think watching this match is a pretty incredible watch. Uh, I think Ian, uh, there, there's probably like Ian Rotten matches that I maybe like a little bit better. Uh, you know, like I really like the Jason Dukes match. I really like the Mickey Knuckles match, like the first Ian retirement thing. I think that match is just incredible. Uh, although probably equally hard to watch in some ways. Um, but I think Ian here is, it's like a force of nature uh, and it's really compelling um, because he's so dead eyed uh, and almost inhuman in the way that he attacks Chris hero. Um, and it's, it's a really compelling narrative. I think, you know, you have Chris hero who it's 2002 and he's sort of this like really young up, up and comer, you know, he's obviously immensely talented. He's a name that you hear on the Indies. He's, um, you know, got this sort of like classic early 2000s indie wrestling look, and he does these classic early 2000s indie wrestling moves. And, um, you know, he's faced with something that that doesn't even feel human in some way. You know, I mean, it's it's like something out of a comic book or something where, a superhero is fighting something so alien, you know, and when he eventually prevails, like it, it is this representation of like a classic wrestling narrative, right? Like, uh, but it feels like this shattered, bizarre version of it. You know, you have the face beating the heel or whatever you have good conquering evil and, uh, and hero is, uh, ends up standing tall, but like, 
you feel like there's this cost to it, you know, uh, that I don't think you feel in a lot of other matches. Um, and I still watch this match and I'm immensely compelled. Uh, and I am compelled as much by the match and the work of the two wrestlers as I am by the crowd, because this match couldn't have happened in front of more than like 35 people. And none of them have an understanding of what they're in for. And like, they are just stand. I mean, like they signed up for an IWA show. Like they knew that there was going to be something crazy that occurred. Right. But like, they are visibly uncomfortable. Like, in, in in Joe versus Necro, right? Like everybody's just marking out the whole time. It's like a few thousand people just going bananas. And here there's like 35 people that are just sitting there in stunned silence as you literally hear headbutts echo around a high school gym. I mean, it's disgusting. Yeah, and that's a very different it. sort of vibe where the IW the Joe versus Necro happens in philly not mm-hmm. in i miss south's backyard but bringing those some of those fans up and that kind of leads to a combination of folks from the tri-state area in general that and bring folks up from the territory so to speak yeah. and those are going to be the super online freaks the folks that are there for like oh i have a at least a deep understanding of these two individuals. I could not prepare for what they're about to do to each other, but I knew their potential. And while they folks that are attending this show certainly know, I, you would think uh, Ian's or Hero's potential, I guess it's a little bit different in this intimate of a setting when, okay, there aren't thousands of people, hundreds of people feeding these two energy. We're not actually maybe on board for this. And all honesty, it sounds like that creates a tight, totally different sort of sensation to experience. I would have to imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would definitely say that if Necro was who you kind of were associated with at one point, it's Beth lab and meth lab battle arts. Now, um, yeah, certainly. That's, yeah. that's taking the crown, for better or worse. I uh, I haven't told a lot of people this because uh, it it never ended up getting published. But um, I uh, I I interviewed Ian uh, for a now defunct wrestling website, Wrestling Joy. Uh, what's that? Wrestling Joy. <laughs> yes, it was that one. Yeah. The, the Nemedies were like, yeah, and we're going to pay you for an Ian Rotten interview. We love Ian Rotten. Positivity. Hashtag positivity. Um, but, uh, th- and I, I interviewed Ian and I like told him that I like really love all of his mat work stuff. And uh, I did not have the heart to tell him that I called it all meth lab battle arts because I did not. It was right at the beginning of the interview and I did not know how he was going to react to that particular phrase. Uh, so it's a, a little, a little moment of cowardice in my, in my interviewing history. Um, You'll never have the opportunity again. Maybe you will. Uh, maybe I will. I don't He's know. Not dead I have yet. his phone number. He's not dead. Yeah. You never know. Right it's now. wrestling. Yeah, it is wrestling. 
It wouldn't surprise anyone. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I would say, just looking through this list of those who are alive, is there a wrestler that if you told me tomorrow they were dead? <laughs> Would I be surprised? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It does um, help we've narrowed the field down, so to speak, over the years. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a tremendous point. Um I also while putting this uh this list together, um I uh, I realize there's a I, I probably have a higher percentage of uh questionable or problematic wrestling figures on my on my desert island comp than most people do uh and i don't know what that says about me but um well i do know what it says about me and it's not good but uh we're gonna ignore that we're gonna just move right along we're gonna move we're in a groove we're gonna get to a match with no problematic elements match number four from ECW's Gangsta's Paradise, Raven and Steve Richards versus the Pitbulls. JR, why did this match make your desert on comp? Uh, that's a great question because I can't find my notes on it. Um, oh, here we go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, my first line in my notes is just two famous Jews completely in their bag. Um you know, I, uh, I, I'm a proud Jew. I'm obviously Jewish. I've written about being Jewish a, a whole lot. I'm, I don't hide that fact. Um, I, uh, when I was a teenager and growing up, I had a pretty fraught relationship with my own Judaism and religion. Um, because, uh, I grew up in an area where there were a good number of other Jews. Uh, like I wasn't othered in any way, or I didn't face like consistent anti-Semitism, but, um, I, I think that other people that like identified as Jewish and were really proud to be Jewish as like young teens, uh, were, um, like socially different than me and interested in different things and like, um, you know, cared a lot about things that I didn't care about. And, um, so I just didn't feel like I was a part of the, um, like my religious community, uh, which was like, uh, tough because I like desperately wanted, um, to, to feel religious and feel and like have a relationship with God and, um, excuse me. And I, um, it wasn't until I like much later and older that I, that I sort of, you know, grew and changed and found my own path towards that stuff. Um, uh, you know, but, I, I think that one of the things bizarrely that started that path was, uh, was finding out that Raven was Jewish. Um, and, uh, you know, he was weirdly like one of my first Jewish role models, um, right. In the way that like my dad grew up with, uh, like Sandy Koufax being a role model, um, because Sandy Koufax proved that like Jews could be tremendously successful at baseball and athletics. Like, Raven proved to me, um, I guess Goldberg did too, in a, in a different way that, that, uh, like Jews could be successful in professional wrestling. Um, and I think Raven for me, like I, 
was one of my first like truly favorite wrestlers and someone that I connected with on like sort of a a level beyond like the way that you connect with Hulk Hogan or Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock or these like sort of ultra charismatic individuals that you glom onto when you first watch televised wrestling. Um, and, you know, Heyman as well, right, was, you know, another person that I discovered was Jewish and, uh, you know, um, obviously on some level embraced that and played a, a, a character that sort of towed the line of like anti-Semitic caricature. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I always will have sort of love and interest in Paul Heyman. And I think that, um, this match is probably the pinnacle of Raven as a wrestler. Um, I think that this match is probably the pinnacle of the, the Paul Heyman, like, you know, style of booking where a single match can pay off sort of multiple feuds that, that go in and out, um, and, uh, and sort of all pay off the air. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, ECW too, I think for a lot of people my age, you know, it's, it's formative, right. It's formative in the moment in the, in the way that I talked about, the the previous match ian versus hero feeling sort of illicit right i think ecw did too right it it but in a different way like ecw felt illicit in the way that um like counterculture stuff does right or did in the 90s where um you know if if you know i'm sure this metaphor is not my own but you know if if early and mid 90s wwf was you know, hair metal or whatever, you know, ECW was grunge and just felt so much cooler and so much um, like it had its finger on the pulse and was for younger people, right? Or was for teenagers specifically, I guess. Um, and I think, you know, it's, uh, I think that really sums it up. You know, I, I don't, um, I don't have any great love for ECW. I'm not like uh, a huge ECW fan, right? But this is one of the few matches on here that I think is on here just because not only does it speak to like something important about me personally and and my relationship with my religion, which I'm I'm very sort of open about and devote a lot of thought to now as a as an adult. Um, but I think that. Uh, it's a match that reminds me of a time as a wrestling fan that, uh, that I think is important. Um, and it, it does so in a way that like not a lot of the other stuff, um, that I was watching at that time would, you know, there, there's no like other sort of singular formative matches that I can point to. Like I couldn't honestly tell you that like a better match uh, from WWF or something like, you know, dude love versus Steve Austin or whatever would, would make this because I just don't have that connection to it. So I will be honest with you. Mm -hmm. First of all, did not realize Raven's Jewish. Ah, well, you learned something. Learn something That's new good. every day. Yeah. Two didn't think Sandy Koufax and him would be tied together on really anything <laughs> I'm doing period. Yeah. So thank you for both of those things. Good.
Yeah, so also interesting to hear that I knew on some level, but also that ECW isn't maybe a touchstone for you. Is it maybe, oh, wow, yes. That is the formative promotion for me personally. Mm -hmm. But it feels like so many people from that era, it's like, oh, yes, that did it. That's what energized me to where we are today. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, and I think I've gone through phases with it. Um, like, I remember really specifically, like, and I, I'm sure you went through a similar phase uh, that I went through. Um, I think when you're, like, really first discovering pro wrestling beyond what you see every week, and you're, like, seeking out good matches, and you're, like, trying to just in in ingest and imbibe every single bit of wrestling that you possibly can and you're you're rating things purely on in-ring work right and you like discover all japan for the first time or whatever right or or anything that sort of just piques your interest in that way um or like mid-south or something and like uh your natural inclination is then to disregard or or poo-poo things that in your eyes then don't hold up in terms of that, like overall match quality on like a a show to show or week to week basis. And I think I went there with ECW one time. And like, I remember being like out for drinks with a couple of friends that liked wrestling, but didn't like wrestling in the same way that you and I like wrestling. Right. And um, somehow ECW came up and I remember being like, Oh, you know, like ECW just like doesn't have any good matches. And one of my friends who was out was like, yeah, but it still kicks ass. (laughs) And like, you know, at the time I like couldn't fathom that someone could think something was cool if it didn't have good matches. And now like, I think totally the opposite, right. You know, like maybe not totally the opposite, but certainly I've, I've, uh, I've come around more to the, the position I, I am in that I was in before I discovered all of this wrestling, right. That like yeah. the thing that is cool is the thing that I like. Right. It's why uh, over the past few weeks, when we've been talking about Dean and DVD VR and the, in its place in history, uh, I think someone, um, a mutual friend of ours, you know, mentioned that uh, DVD VR is, is sort of like remodernism, right. And it, uh, and, or stuckism and uh, as a movement, and uh, I think that's true, right? Like we we end up reinvigorated, uh, not by sort of anti art or um, using you know treating wrestling as just this like thing in a vacuum, but by reinvestigating the aspects of it that made us attracted to wrestling in the first place, but just with um, more conditioned uh, critical eyes. And uh, that also is something that I think strikes me about this match. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I have nothing to add here, but have you seen this match? I have not seen this match. Okay. How many of the matches on my comp have you seen? Do you know? Five. Five? Five. It's pretty good. Okay. So. I'm going to guess the rest of the ones that we've gone over so far. I assume you've seen both the IWA matches. I've not. I've just no. seen Joe versus Necro. 
Okay. All right. So now I'm gonna I'm gonna try and guess. I may let me actually let me do the count because I actually may not have done that count right. It is ends up being, um, four. Okay, four. All right. So you've seen you've seen one of the four that we've talked about. Then is that right? We have. I have seen one of the the four we've talked about. Okay. All right. So three of the next six. Three of the next six you have seen. All right. Excellent. I'm gonna try and guess. Okay. Good. Very good. Good luck. Let's move on. Yeah, I'm excited. I like a little game. Yeah. <laughs> Match number five, we have Ricky Marvin versus uh, Kira. That was messed up in so many ways. My guess would be from January 7th, 2018 from Lucha, Lucha Memes or Memes. I <laughs> can never tell which one it's supposed to be. I Dude. think they say Memes, but like, it, come on, it's Lucha Memes, right? <laughs> I, I think, I think. You know, once they have the American commentators in there, it gets it gets confusing for me. Yeah. Uh, Gr, why this match make the desert island cop? Uh so I knew that I needed something from Coacalco, um, because seeing Coacalco on tape makes me happy. It's one of the few places where there's active wrestling that I like feel transported when I go there. It's like a sacred space in, in a, in a very odd sense. Um, I, it's a place I want to go. It's a place that wrestling feels special in for me. Um, it's a place that's totally unique. And, um, you know, I, I also knew as I was putting this together that I wanted a Ricky Marvin match on there because um, I really associate my fandom with Ricky Marvin in some way. Um, uh, You know, he's a wrestler that I closely identify with. And I think that um, a lot of the other wrestlers that I've like written about extensively, uh, I certainly was not like on the forefront of liking or engaging with. In, in any meaningful fashion it's not like i uh, like you know discovered the necro butcher or whatever right um but i i do truthfully and maybe this is arrogance on my part or, or egotism but i do truthfully think that um this recent ricky marvin run like the last five years that essentially maybe started with this kara match and um you know are, are still going uh even to this day uh, you know through the, the Black Terry match and the Hesero matches and um, the Ares matches. I mean, a bunch of stuff, you know, he's had this sort of mini renaissance. And um, I, I think many, I think a lot fewer people in the U.S. would have seen it or watched it critically if I hadn't been talking about it. Um, and uh, I'll always sort of associate him with, with my fandom because of that. Um, and I think this match is great. I think that it's probably the best intergender match ever. Um, I think that Ricky's a, a total bully. I think he shows a different side of himself as a wrestler than what people would associate with him. Um, because I think that, you know, most people our age or roughly our age, uh, you know, just sort of figured he was like a Noah tag guy that like helped coach the juniors or whatever. Um, 
you know, everybody loves that three minute match against Kenta. Um, but I mean, he's here just like bumping his ass off and like being like a completely shitty heel. And, uh, I mean, he just, he goes way harder than he needs to be. I think that's like a running theme in these matches uh, of just the effort where maybe lesser performers wouldn't have given effort. I think that's probably inspiring to me on some, on some level in a way that I just put together. Um, but, uh, you know, I, Marvin famously after this match uh, refused to take more intergender bookings because he didn't want to sort of get typecast as like the guy in Mexico that wrestled all the girls. But, and I, I see why he did it. Right. But mm -hmm. um, I, I think a lesser performer would have been sort of a grump beforehand and, and not, you know, just sort of big timed uh, Kara in a way that made the match lesser. And Marvin, big timed her in a way that got her over as a, a sort of equal opponent to someone that, you know, wrestled at the highest levels of Japan for a decade and, uh, you know, wrestled in AAA and, um, you know, is really just an incredible underrated performer. So, um, yeah, that's why, that's why it's on here. I don't, I don't have a ton to say about this match. Uh, you know, I mean, other than it's really great. Um, but I, uh, you know, I, I would, I guess I would tell people to watch it, but, um, it, it's just a, it's a special match for me because it's an, a match that in 2017, which is a, a, you know, a, a time when I was watching a ton of wrestling, uh, it felt like, uh, like a real aha moment. It felt like a discovery and, um, those moments are important for any fan, I think. Are there any matches previous to this or coming up that you would say, do not watch this? No, that's a great point. Uh, thanks for pointing <laughs> that out. Um, <laughs> that was a genuine question. I know that may have came off as a dig. It was not meant to be. I think there were genuine no, matches. I, uh, like, if you yeah, told me, hey, no. don't go watch actually Rotten versus Hero um, or Slash, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that to every single person off the street. Yeah, time. certainly. Like, uh, I'll I'll say this: if um, if if I was showing matches to a new fan, right? Someone that's like, "Hey, I really I want like you're a cool friend and you talk really well about wrestling. I want you to show me some wrestling matches that would make me a wrestling fan." Uh, there are probably matches on here that I would not start with, right? That's, that's real. Um, but for the people listening to this podcast, uh, who I assume are people that, you know, uh, are already sickos like you and I, uh, I would tell them to watch any bit of footage that they haven't seen before. That's fair. That's fair. And that goes for everything. Don't yeah. leave any stone unturned. When you said this is probably the best gender match ever, I quickly thought, I have no idea what the competition would end up being. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the competition is awful, but uh, the only other piece of well, there's the two Mickey Knuckles matches I really, really oh, love. True. There's a uh, that Akira match from a couple of years ago that's mm -hmm. insane, and then there's the Ian match. Yeah, but um, like death matches are a little bit different too, right? I don't know. I, I feel like which they, you would think sort of... not the case. You would think yeah. that would be the last place, but then again, 
that's just not that's just how it goes sometimes that's just how it goes yeah it's it's strange i mean i guess i uh if i'm if i'm trying to think about it critically i think there's like there's more smoke and mirrors in a death match right like yeah. there's there's more there's more crutches to even the playing field uh like because you're hitting somebody with a weapon right or or uh something else like there there's less that would show sort of a physical disparity um this match has really none of that aside from Ricky Marvin taking two preposterous bumps um to the outside uh that uh that are like completely nonsensical like I don't know why he took either of them let alone both of them um so he's not spring chicken either no no yeah, the match I always associate with this venue for whatever reason is Demus versus Iron Kid. Oh, where he throws him into the support yep. beam on the topo? Yeah. That match is sick. I love that match. Um, And that spot just stays in my head rent-free yeah. for just once a week. Just, oh, shit, remember that wrestling's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. Venue. That was around the same time, too. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't have been more than a year before this, right? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah, it is. I think you nailed it. It's one of the great places that wrestling takes place. I have so such few distinct venues. Yeah. And I also like I, this match, too, uh, has another like the the for people that haven't seen any wrestling at Coacalco, um, uh, it's got a dirt floor. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when there's bumps to the outside, especially from from high up which there are in this match, it kicks up so much dust and it's, it's just such a like gritty, weird visual cue that you don't get in a lot of other wrestling, right? That like Ricky Marvin comes up after bumping and there's like a literal cloud of dust. And then he's just covered in dirt. And uh, and it feels so grimy and weird in a way that a lot of other wrestling does not, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. that That's match number five. So we're crossing the halfway point of your list. Do Any... I have to talk faster? Am I, am... No. <laughs> we're going to have like a three-hour, ten-match comp? Yeah. No, we're good. We're good. Okay. All right. Are you ready for match number six? Yeah. It is Onia and Tarzan Goto versus Dragon Master in Masanobu Gurusu from FMW's from FMW in April first, nineteen ninety. Jar, why this match? Make your desert on comp. So, um, as I was putting this comp together, uh, I one of the things that I was really worried about um, was that. I would not have any representation from Japan on my comp. Um, and I, I think for for those of us that are so deep into this this medium and this hobby, like not having anything from Japan feels like a fault. You know, it it feels wrong because it's such a formative part of uh, discovering wrestling outside of the United States. And I think for most of us, um, of a specific generation, it, it, you always discover Japan first, uh, at least like you discover Japan first through like a critical lens, right? Because someone always tells you about six, three ninety four or, or whatever. Right. Um, and so, uh, I couldn't bring myself, uh, to put like a kabashi match on here or something because 
that stuff just doesn't really like uh, represent who I am as a fan uh, anymore. And I'm not even sure if it ever did, frankly. Um, uh, I admire the artistry that's present in it, but like it, it's, um, you know, it's just not me. It's not Jr. Right. It would ring false, I think, for a lot of people. Um, but I did want to find like some Japanese representation, and this was the first thing that that I thought of. Um, uh, you know, it, it's it's a match I love. Um, it's also a match that I love all of the different outfits in. Um, this is a match I'm going to say is one that you've seen. No, man, I'm just, I'm totally getting everything wrong. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go 0 for 10. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's a, it's a Texas death match, right? And uh, I would encourage everyone to watch just the entrances um, because they come out in some of the wildest fucking outfits you're ever going to see. Um, and uh, I mean, everyone looks stupid. It lo everyone looks so stupid, but it's perfect. Um, and the, the pace of this match is, is basically like the same exact pace as, as Joe Necro, like everyone hits the ring. They immediately just start pasting each other and they paced each other for 10 minutes straight. And that's the match. Um, it sounds beautiful. And it, I mean, this, this match is perfect. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I really love it. Um, there's like. There's no huge spots, uh, you know, I mean, there's like, there's like, you know, Onita hits a big power bomb that looks gross. Uh, like they hit a double DDT, but like mostly it's just people hitting each other with chairs for like five minutes at a time, you, you know, um, everyone bleeds. And then I think the thing that really put it over the top for me and why I put it on the, the comp um is uh, there's a post match where they they continue and they they film Onita going to the back and uh, and he's he's crying and screaming for Goto and looking for Goto to make sure he's okay um, and uh, and like I know that Onita is like a sort of bizarre figure and I'm sure he's like a hundred percent working and he wasn't like really crying and worried about Tarzan Goto. Right. But like in the moment it like absolutely doesn't matter to me um, because I believe I, I've watched this match 50 times and I believe every time that he's concerned for Tarzan Goto uh, and his voice is like cracking and breaking as he screams his name and looks for him in a locker room. And like, I, I think that it, it, it's something that's really unique and it, it would never occur to most wrestlers, uh, you know, non Onita wrestlers, I guess that the way to get over violence is to show such emotional vulnerability. Um, and I, I, you know, just to see a man cry for another man in the, in the world of professional wrestling is, um, really powerful for me. Uh, you know, it, it, it gets over the idea of friendship and love and, um, these things that we theoretically would fight for. Um, and, uh, what we fight for is an important part of, of wrestling as a whole is, you know, I'm so invested in narrative and structure and, um, 
I, I want a reminder as I watch matches on a desert Island, theoretically by myself, um, that we should show our love in loud and primal ways. Right. And, and not just be stoic and not just like sit around and, and not share the, the things that we love about things and the things that we love about each other. Um, yeah, that's it. That's why it's on here. Yeah. There's a, there's a rawness to a lot of the matches that are on this set. And this sounds like something has an emotional rawness to it. Yeah. I I would say, Sam, if you're going to watch anything on, on this This that you haven't seen this, I think this one's up your alley. You're going to be honest. You're getting me excited about a lot of matches here, JR. Good. Good. <laughs> and the time you're telling me on a lot of these matches is working for me. Oh yeah. This match, like I think the from from entrances to end of video is like sub thirteen minutes on this. Ooh. There it yeah. is. You're in and out. Yeah. That's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear. That's the that's the upsell I need. Mm-hmm. I have no other thoughts, feelings, emotions towards this match other than it feels like a delight. I have watched. What are your What are your overall thoughts on Onita? I guess is uh, what I would <laughs> I would ask. I do not have like a lot of emotional investment into Onita. He, but I've also watched a severe lack of FMW. Mm, sure. So, hence me not seeing this match. Is also kind of a greater. Oh, I have not seen a lot of one of the promotions that he just demands. Um, frankly, so that is a lot. Um, underrated junior. That's the actual Onita story. There you go. That's that's a great note. Yeah, he has some matches with Chavo Guerrero. Let me tell you, they are absolute humdingers. That's good, good. lordy. I haven't seen any of that, so I'll go check that out. Hey, it's worth it. We're I will, yeah. We're sharing caring here. All right. Next up, we're gonna move on to match number seven. Mm-hmm. It is Jimmy Jacobs versus BJ Whitmer from Supercar Honor Two. JRY this match. Make your design comp. So I uh I think that um there are the IWA Mid-South matches that they did, like the barbed wire rope, no rope barbed wire, and the, the what did they do, a I quit match, mm-hmm. uh, that are probably better and people like better. But I think for me, like this match represents what my fandom is a little bit more, um, and certainly like what my fandom at the time was, because I was so heavily invested in ring of honor during this period. Um, and it, like ring of honor during this time period is probably the closest I've ever come to my wrestling fandom, just being one thing, right. That like, rather than being a wrestling fan, I was just a ring of honor fan. Um, Cause I was so heavily invested in, in everything that was happening. Uh, in the Gabe Sapolsky extended universe. Um, so I, I just want a reminder of that, I guess. Um, but 
I also think that it's like a, a style of wrestling storytelling that isn't really a part of this comp otherwise. Um, and, you know, for me, this is like a height of, of that period of indie wrestling and long-term storytelling. And I think, you know, looking back now, the Jimmy Loves Lacey stuff is pretty misogynistic and it's aged pretty poorly. And I um, I think that it's like really sort of a, a black mark on, on Gabe and on the fans of the time that um, they really just had such scorn for Lacey as a character um, because uh like why right <laughs> frankly like you know like i don't know it's pretty gross you know and like i'm i'd like to think that i like wasn't a uh that at that point but like i don't really know i don't i'm you know i'm sure i'm looking back at myself through rose colored glasses i'm sure i uh i thought you know bad thoughts about her or whatever but like um, so maybe that's, that's part of it too, that I want something that reminds me that I was like a shitty little 20 something at some point. Um, but, uh, I think this match is really good. I think that it, it, it stands the test of time. Um, I think that it's, uh, it, it's got more of like a, a payoff and main event energy than the other ones do. Um, like it feels like a, um, you know, like a WrestleMania version of the match. Uh, you know, this match happened WrestleMania weekend. Uh, I was there too, which, uh, you know, and I had a really, really fun weekend with my friend Mike, um, uh, where we, you know, we saw both these ROH shows. We saw WrestleMania, um, and, you know, we, we had a, just an absolute blast the whole weekend. And, um, so, that's a nice memory and probably something that makes this match better in my mind than it, than it actually is um, compared to the other ones. But um, you know, I, I, it also reminds me of the, the sort of post match that's on this show about it and like the angle payoff. And um, so like what happens, right. And uh, you know, for people who maybe aren't as invested in the Jimmy loves Lacey lore, uh, of, of this, you know, the Jimmy and Whitmer were a tag team with Lacey as their manager and they broke up and, um, you know, Jimmy professed his love for Lacey. I'm going to, I'm skipping over a ton of nuance here <laughs> and, um, Just get right to the meeting. and yeah. And, uh, and Lacey basically told Jimmy Jacobs that, uh, who confessed his love to her that, um, if, he was able to, you know, beat BJ Whitmer and, you know, like really beat him up and injure him and whatever else that uh, she would sleep with him is essentially the, the crux of it. Right. And he does in this match, he wins this match. He, he wins uh, decisively. And at the end of this show, uh, they show a vignette of Jimmy Jacobs in bed with Lacey as Lacey is asleep, cuddling him like uh, with a satisfied smile on her face. Uh, and Jacobs is like very clearly despondent about it uh, and like has sort of no obvious sense of accomplishment. Um, 
And I think that's a really powerful end to a storyline. And obviously it continued into the age of the fall stuff, um, which is hit or miss, but I don't know. I, I find that a powerful reminder and something that I, that I um, really identify with. Like, I don't know if you identify with this too. I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't identify or call myself uh, ambitious, I guess, in any great sense of the word, but um, certainly I am, uh, you know, proudly creative and I've always tried to set goals for myself. And um, one thing that's always been an issue for me is, you know, you'll set a goal and you'll accomplish it. And when you set that goal and, uh, and you do it, like you just keep going. Right. And the goals just get bigger and harder. And when you're on to the next thing, you don't really have the, the time or the, the inclination to sit back and think about the thing that you set out to do originally is done and you did it and you don't ever really feel great about it. Right. Because you're just sort of constantly moving on. And I, that feeling's not a good feeling, right? Like it, it's a bad feeling and it's like my brain is broken and bad because I have that feeling all the time. But like, on some level that feeling also makes me human and it drives me forward. And I want a reminder of that, I guess. Uh, I want a reminder of the bad feelings that on some level act as a counterbalance to the good ones, or at least like um, create the sort of like baseline sadness that you need to have in your life in order to to truly feel joy in the moments that you do feel joy. Um, and I think this match would be a good reminder of that feeling. That's an interesting feeling that you want to capture on Desert Island. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, I don't know. I Like, being on a Desert Island would probably suck. You know, I mean, you'd probably have enough of that as it is, but... In this moment, I think I'd want I think I'd want to to be reminded that there's like everyday sadness that I can experience and would experience beyond just like being hungry and sunburnt and whatnot. You know, you would think. Yeah. This is one of the matches I've seen. OK, yeah, that makes sense. Any comments since you've seen this? I, I do not have comments just kind of speaking to some of the stuff that you've talked about kind of a later portion there. Sure. Because I am an emotional husk of a person. So <laughs> what do I have to offer in that grander field of discussion? I will say that, like, one, I'm just kind of glad you have an ROH match on here to kind of reflect that part of your fandom, as well as this being a unique choice for that matchup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I am. Um... I really needed and wanted an ROH match on here. I, I frankly, I probably uh, should have a second one on there. Um, I have some honorable mentions that we'll go through. Yeah, Loki Kent. Like, yeah, Loki Kent, obviously. <laughs> uh, you know, there, I'll be perfectly honest. There, there is probably a, a large portion of my fandom where that would be number one with a bullet on the Desert Island comp. I mean, that match is insane good. Uh, um, that match is a match that, like, um, uh, I sold on my ROH DVDs a few years ago when I, uh, 
uh, moved. Um, I and thought I you were going to say, like, when I discovered the internet. I discovered that there were some marks out there that were paying top dollar for them. Um, and, uh, you know, like I didn't need them or want them anymore. And so I sold them. And, um, uh, but when I still had them, uh, I would often like watch a big WWE pay-per-view like the Royal Rumble or WrestleMania. And if that show or SummerSlam or something, and if that show was good, and got me hyped and I had a few drinks in me, I would often just put on like ROH matches that I liked. And that was always a big one of like a match when I was hyped about other wrestling, I would want to watch Loki Kenta. That makes sense. That aligns, yeah. that tracks. Yeah. I think this matchup definitely fits with a certain vibe though, for the rest of your comps, as far as like, you know, what frequency, like a level of violence, a level of, yeah, yeah, just like watching it's... sad, weird dudes stab each other. Yeah, yeah that, that that's that about that, that about sums up my wrestling fandom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think kind of nailed on the head. Like this is one of the more grandiose of the matches in the sense, like it's scopes and desires were a little bit more, were a little bit larger. They had a little mm-hmm. more involved there where. Necro versus Joe delivers on the promise of what it is on the tin where it has all this to live up to in the sense that these are the talents involved where uh, this match has to live up to the expectations based on the work that's been previously put in to get there. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. And doing it on Supercar Varner, which was... I never understood. I never will understand stand based on I feel like coming into ROH as like someone that actually watched the product with some regularity. You know mm-hmm. like a total sicko, but try to do my best to kind of keep up. Like two thousand and eight, two thousand nine. Yeah. Was That's Super of Honor thought. like where does that rank compared to like Death Portis Honor? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, no idea. Yeah, no, no clue. Yeah, final battle was always the big show. Everything else was completely secondary. You know, I love it. I love it. Okay, thank you for not helping me on that question. (laughs) (laughs) Are you ready? (laughs) Do you want to get sad and weird, or do you want to talk about Eddie Guerrero? I mean, I can do both. All right, let's do it. Yeah, match number eight is Eddie Guerrero. And Art Bar versus El Hio Del Santo and Octagon from When Worlds Collide JR. Why well, does Smash make the desert on a comp? I think this is the platonic ideal of a, of a wrestling match, uh, or at least the structure of a wrestling match. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's not like especially true because this match isn't repeatable or I wouldn't want it to be repeatable like there's there's matches out there um like jml actually spoke about this on the the one that just came out with the shytown rumble right that like um two main event wrestlers could recreate that match almost beat for beat and it would probably be a good match right like that that match could be a formula for two main event stars in 2023 and no one would bat an eye. And I largely agree with that point. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, 
This match, I think, could not be a formula because it's it's got such sort of specific things that occur in it. Um, but I think that something that's really important to me in wrestling is matches that work without context um, and matches that like someone could just turn on and uh, immediately know who to cheer for, who to boo, uh, who's favored to win, you know, who they, you know, what, what sort of, what ride they're on, you know? And I think that's one of the things that's attracted me to Lucha uh, in my fandom, because I think Lucha does a much better job of that than a lot of other wrestling. Um, but I here, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I could show this to somebody that's never watched wrestling before or like only watched wrestling when they were a kid or whatever. And immediately within the first five seconds, they know that like art bar should get punched in the face. And they know that Eddie Guerrero is a, a little shit eater. And they know that Elliot El Santo is proud and noble. And that Octagon, you know, as soon as he starts wrestling, he's quick, he's fun. And, you know, throughout this match, they know that he's someone who's going to defend his friend as hard as humanly possible. And I think everyone plays their role absolutely perfectly. I um, I think that you couldn't get four better performances out of these people. Um, I think the seconds do their work perfectly. Um, and I think that, like, this is one of those matches. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, you know, maybe it's, it's something that, like, I'm going to sound like Bill Simmons or somebody, but this match has been like thought of as overrated for so long because it was for a long time. Like when I was growing up uh, within wrestling, this is considered like the match, right. Or like one of the matches. And I think people fought back on that uh, on some level. And I think people have fought back on that for so long and said that this match has been overrated for so long that now it's underrated. Like no one really talks about it anymore. And um, I, I think I would want on a desert Island. Like this is the one match on here that to me is just like a powerful reminder of like the stories wrestling is meant to tell at its most ambitious. Um, Not like long form angle payoff stuff. Like, like, you know, Jimmy Jacobs and BJ Whitmer, which we just talked about, but like in ring storytelling, um, you know, uh, uh, sort of the the wrestling as theater writ large, just bell to bell stuff. This is as good a narrative and as clean and as easy to understand a narrative as uh, as wrestling is capable of. Do you think that's kind of why this match resonates with so many fans where that, I mean, this is maybe more anecdotal, but I know a lot of fans who are not big into Lucha that for some reason there's a disconnect there that yet this match still operates at such a high level for those individuals. Is there something to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that 
Uh, I think it's an easy match. I think the structure of it is, uh, even though it's two out of three falls, I think that it's got like a pretty unlucha like structure, right? Um, like it feels kind of Americanized in some way. I mean, I, I think it doesn't hurt that, um, like Eddie Guerrero is in it and people just sort of know, like they can set their watch to him in some way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, and I think that it's a match that, like, when you, if this is a match where you, like, maybe it's not even on those lists anymore. It probably isn't. It's probably just all Okada matches or something. But, like, when when I was first trying to seek out the the best wrestling matches of all time and, like, had no idea where to go aside from, like, Googling what are the best wrestling matches of all time or whatever, right? Go Google, um, yeah. Yeah, like this, this would come up at, at, in 2003 or whatever when I was doing that. And like I, I would find a tape of it and I would watch it. And I think this match feels really watchable and really obviously good to someone who hasn't seen a ton of wrestling. And then I think as people progress in their wrestling fandom and find things that um, they're more personally connected to, they maybe put this match aside. Um, you know, and it, it, for whatever reason, I think that most wrestling fans end up more drawn to Japanese wrestling than Lucha. Um, and so it, for a lot of people, I think it just sort of stays aside. It, it becomes like a footnote in their wrestling fandom and their history. Um, but I think if those people took the time to go back and rewatch and reassess, um, they would uh, they would discover that it holds up for different reasons, right? And that it's um, uh, it's like the wrestling equivalent of like you're getting a wonderful home cooked meal, right? Um, you're you know it's it's Thanksgiving dinner, you know it's 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 things that you don't need every day um but when you do get them it's like a reminder of just like how savory stuff can be and uh and how lovely it can be okay okay no i can i can get behind that i can get behind All that right. excellent i was making it up as i went yeah, along i could so i could feel it but i i vibe with it i vibe with it it made sense all right i have nothing to add to this matchup at this point think i can at least confirm up to 2013 14 mm-hmm. this was a match that still very much landed on those lists it okay. came up constantly i could not tell you in the year 2023 i, I have not googled best mat- wrestling matches ever in many years now and i assume also, it's just all okada you know i would assume so. But also just a very yeah. funny thought to figure out, like, hey, what's the time in your yeah. fandom that you stop making that Google search? Yeah. That's, that's like, okay, you know? I no longer, it, that's not a a benchmark that I actually care about uh, from the wider swath of the internet. It's probably something we should investigate. Yeah, just like on a personal level, we should figure out, like, for each of us when when we found the one place that we trusted beyond just like the scope of the larger internet search engine, you know, it's not a question for today. 
unfortunately or fortunately not. Moving on to match number nine. It is Danny Havoc versus Sammy Callahan from Cage of Death 11. JR, why this match? Miku does it on comp. So I uh, I love deathmatch wrestling. I think it's great. Uh, I don't care what people say. I mean, that, that was probably like a more controversial statement back before all indie wrestling was deathmatch wrestling. Um, but I think the structure here is awesome. I think the bumps are completely nuts. I think that both of these guys are totally insane. I think that uh, I always felt a kinship of some sort with Danny Havoc. He seemed like a a really cool guy on a personal level in a way that not a lot of wrestlers do. Uh, like he seemed like a really different guy that like you could get along with. Um, and it's sad that he passed so early. Um, this match is a nice reminder uh, that Sammy Callahan was so good at wrestling for a little bit. I know you felt that way too. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I know he's your boy. Um, he didn't send me and mail, I, you know, but what's that? He didn't send me mail or anything like that. Yeah. Well, fair enough. But, um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm from Ohio. I always have a soft spot for Ohio guys. So I, I, I think that Sammy was, you know, someone that I, I could vibe with on that Ohio level. Um, and, you, you know, I mean, like, you could watch this stuff and you could watch his stuff against Finley just a couple short years later, right? Or right around the same time period. And, like, it, it's not as far-fetched as it sounds now to say, like, Sammy Callahan had a best-in-the-world case for a couple of years, you know? Yeah, in this 2009, 2000, 2011, even maybe 2012 yeah. period. Yeah. He really was one of the best going and i think we lose some of that czw-ness of him later mm-hmm. in that run as he gets yeah. more involved in evolve but i think this is like okay in a different universe this is the path he goes down slash in a different wrestling situation where this is a more viable long-term path for a professional wrestler this is what could have been yeah, or I mean, I don't know, like, even if he just, like, if he was just a few years younger or whatever, and he did this stuff, uh, and then, like, held out long enough on the indies for AEW to come along, rather than, like, that completely ill-fated NXT run, you know, and, like, like I mean, I think that he could have he could have really sort of shown people how how good he was you know like i remember seeing him in aaw against davy richards and like just being blown away around this time like I, I mean he's just on fire and uh it's unfortunate um but this match i don't know i could watch this match over and over again i don't know like every big spot is completely insane um th- there's like a lot of times, maybe not a lot of times, and this is like a weird thing to say, but like there's there's death matches where you you watch it and you get desensitized to what you're watching, like as you're watching it, right? Where like you know they set up a couple of tables or they hit the they they you know hit each other with light tubes and 
you know, like by the end of it, you're just like, okay, like you guys are, you're still doing this, you, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's something about this match where like every single time there's a big spot, it feels nuts. Um, like it, legitimately feels like everything they do in this match is a coin flip as to whether someone's going to get seriously injured or not. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I kind of love that. I kind of love that feeling of just like how far these guys are willing to go. Um, because, because of that escalation, I, I get invested on a different level. I, I still bite on near falls in this match. Um, you know, even though I've seen it like dozens of times or whatever, um, you know, and I remember the finish, but there, there's stuff that I see where I'm just like, holy moly, how did that not end this match? You know? And yeah. I think for a match where so much of the structure is them climbing up to a scaffold, it doesn't feel like there's a ton of dead air. And I don't, that feels like a magic trick to me. I don't quite know how they pull that off. Um, but yeah, this match is great. I don't know. I, I don't have anything really to say about it aside from like it's it's so good. Um, I concur. I concur. Yeah. I think I like to mentally compare Cage of Deaths conceptually. Mm-hmm. Just because it feels like at times it's like, okay, what was on sale at Home Depot this week? <laughs> And I think that's beautiful. Car batteries, apparently. Car batteries. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, they're here. Why not use yeah. them? And it's just such an inspired touch. Yeah. Um, Every one of these always feels just. Cage of it feels like a death trap, like something just feels unnatural about what they've erected uh-huh. in the venue. And it's like. I don't know. This isn't someone's head. I don't. No one's designing the cage of death. This is not Eric Bischoff showing you the blueprint <laughs> to the elimination chamber. It is. Can we get this makeshift fencing to stand up properly against the ring post for the next thirty minutes? Yeah, it's about right. And I think that's just wonderful. That's just a wonderful thing in professional wrestling. It's the only. It's one of the few. It's one of the things that CCW has given me as a wrestling fan. It's like, oh, <laughs> what are you going to think of next? The only thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I didn't want to get so harsh. Um, I've heard some very good House and Garjulo commentary <laughs> lines throughout the years. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, this is this is a humdinger of a matchup. And it's one of the more beloved modern or, or ah, this is. So long ago now. It's over a decade old. I was gonna say more modern cages of death, but it's not anymore. No, yeah. That's old, just old that's just, yeah. just dirt dirt old. Uh I, I mean, don't even one know of these guys cage is of death dead anymore. and the other is in TNA doing nothing, right? Like yep. I mean Yep. He is occasionally reminding you he is friends with John Moxley, and that <laughs> man will not bring him to AEW anytime soon. Oh, geez. Can you even imagine? It's yeah. over for that poor guy. I don't know. He's so very funny. It, uh, yeah, it'd be really funny. But, but like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think that NXT run broke his brain. 
You, you know, and I felt like when he came back on the Indies, like you could tell he was just a different, less confident guy. Um, and uh, it's it's sad in some way, you know, but like he had a couple good stuff like that. That match with Loki is good. I remember the Loki stuff, the AEW stuff in general. I really love uh-huh. coming off yeah. that. He has a match with Keith Lee that I think is really great. Um, for all I should check that out. I don't think I've seen that. Ah, well, I was a freakazoid for AEW for a period of time. Yeah. For whatever reason. I do not know why. It was probably not good for my mental well being. But <laughs> something about, to me, it was going to TNA. Uh, it was the somewhat validation that he wasn't a failure. Um, or even Lucha Underground, I guess, maybe was kind of the tipping point in my brain. Like, sure. hey, as soon as someone validated that it wasn't him that failed it was nxt that failed him uh-huh. a untrue statement just he biffed <laughs> it he just sucked and i mean i was a big sammy callahan fan i have not watched him in years now yeah but he biffed it and these promotions giving him some level of validation i think ultimately warped him to like oh he needed some level of uncom of not being confident. And I think yeah. almost it was the 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 increased confidence that oh everything I'm doing is correct. I am built for this. Is what ultimately derided him. I don't know. Probably too much talk about Sammy Callahan. Apologies. No such thing. Well, <laughs> everyone listening is right now begging to differ. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you have anything else to talk about for Danny Havoc versus Sammy Callahan? God, no. We're good. We're done. We're good. We're good. We're moving on to the final match in your Desert Island comp. It is uh, Alexander Atsuka versus Morinoru Sawa and Yuki Ishikawa versus Daisuke Aikida, uh, Katsumi Usada, and Super Tiger JR. Why did this match make your Desert Island comp? So there's a few reasons, and I I, uh, I will be truthful. I struggled pretty mightily narrowing down um, what the the final match on here. Uh, you know, I went back and forth a bunch of times throughout the day. The other nine I, I set pretty quickly, um, and uh, what it came down to for me is like I I, I hope I've um, been clear about the fact that a lot of the matches that are on here are matches that um, like make me feel different things or remind me of different feelings that are important to my like own humanity, I guess. Um, And I think that some, there's something about this here that reminds me of that too. Um, Because like, I, I wanted a reminder that our tastes are constantly evolving and that there's like always new things for us to see and that it's important for us to look back as like, you know, sort of critical subjects and in, in being involved in wrestling in that way. Um, because for me, like shoot style is something that took me a long time to, to, you know, quote unquote get like I'm, I've never been like a, a true shoot fan. Like I'm not a UFC guy or anything like that. And 
like there's some shoot style that I sort of got immediately like Vulcan and whatever else, but like by and large, most of it is not something that I was like running out to, to download or, or watch. Um, and I always viewed it as like having a, uh, and it was so popular amongst people whose, uh, you know, writing and taste I, I really admired. Um, and so I always viewed it as like, you know, having a friend group where you all like, the same bands and they all have like one band that they all agree is awesome. And they gush about and you listen to it and you're just sort of like left cold the entire time, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was, that was shoot style for me for a while. Um, and eventually I, I sort of came to, to love it. And I, I like that. I like the reminder that, um, you know, sometimes we have to eat our vegetables. Right. And, uh, and sometimes we have to, um, do things within mediums that we love on a macro level and investigate why there's aspects of it on a micro level that fail for us. Um, and uh, maybe those things change over time and maybe they don't, but I think it's, it's fun to keep going back to the well and seeing if, um, if it can can work. Um, second, uh, I love going to live wrestling and I think that I would miss that on a desert Island. And, um, there's something about the way this match is filmed that genuinely makes you feel like you're in the crowd. Like it's not even like a fan cam type thing. Um, like, I don't know what it is, but there's like weird obstructions. Like, and you're, you're sort of watching this and like bobbing your head. It, it, it feels like you are there. And uh, I think I can immerse myself in this match in a, in a weird way. I can get lost in it. Um, and then lastly, I think for me, something that is important and something that I like is, is having a representation of wrestlers that have such a sort of clear mission statement. Like Ishikawa and Ikeda, they always leave me sort of speechless when I watch them work. Um, they're such abnormal men. Um, they're so just sort of casually violent in a way that's like really foreign to me. Um, you know, I'm not a violent, hot-headed guy and uh, I don't like just like fighting for the sake of fighting. And so there's something that I can't relate to about it. But at the same time, when I watch it, I can't help but have sort of an immense respect for uh, the respect they so clearly have for each other and the way that they speak so openly about the fact that they go out and intentionally try and get people who don't think wrestling is real to view wrestling as real. And that's a commitment that I can sort of remain in awe of and uh, can respect immensely. Um, and then lastly, frankly, I, I think I wanted a match that is long because so many of the matches that I've picked here are, are sprints um, and would reward subsequent viewings i think it's a match that every time i watch i see and notice something new and learn something new and um even if i was stuck on a desert island uh i would i would want something that i could continue to go back to and notice new things and learn new things uh not only about the match but about myself this is a match i really love good i think it is great i don't know if it's my favorite shoot style match but also, it's like when the 
we talked about kind of earlier with the One Worlds Collide match. As far as like, hey, what are the best shoot style matches? This is always kind of amongst that list. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you always get like this, and then you also get like the Ishikawa versus Aikida match and some level of. Um, and people like Han Tamura and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you'll get the ring stuff mixed in there as well. It's like, okay, here are the different flavors of this style. Yeah. And I just like, oh, this kind of also just brings in like things I like about Lucha in the sense that like, oh, I love various combinations of wrestlers that I can kind of experience in one single match, even if it's not the full array of mingling you can get from singles or tag at least mm-hmm. in trio in the six man's you, in trios you get the you get the combos and that always tickles my fancy so to speak so yeah i'm always glad to see this kind of pop up and i am surprised this has not popped up on anyone's lists so far yeah that is surprising i don't know i mean maybe I mean, maybe it's not. It, it's a it's a niche of a niche, right? But this podcast is a niche of a niche. <laughs> so fair enough. Yeah. But no, I think it is a great match. And I think this kind of rounds out your comp in a sense where like there's a lot of either emotional investment into some of these aspects or investment in the feeling that comes about when you think about the match itself. Um, there's a rawness to some of these matches. There's a just purity to to things on, on this list. And this is kind of like more of a, okay, this is the fuels. Weird to say the meat and potatoes of the comp, but in some ways it feels like that's your kind of feeling towards it in a sense where like, you don't have that level of similar passion, I would say, to some of these matches, just because it's a more robust isn't the word I'm looking for, but it's the only word coming to my brain right now. No, I understand what you're saying. I mean, and like my, uh, I think without this, uh, a lot of my comp is like, uh, could be construed as like pretty samey. Like there's a lot of blood and guts on there. Um, you know, there, there's some big emotions and uh, I do think this gives sort of a different flavor of my fandom that, um, that I, I know I would appreciate in the moment being out there because I would, I would want a change of pace, you know, and um, this does sort of speak to a, a level of ring work and a, a level of, of, sort of just like time and escalation that is not otherwise present, even though the, I would say that the rest of the matches that are on there, well, the most of the matches that are on here stand up in ring to something like this. Um, This does have a different feeling to it that I, I really value and love. I love it. I love it. Jared, do you have anything, any final words on, this matchup before we kind of get into your angles and promos. No, no, I think I summed it up. I mean, I, um, 
Yeah, I, I love it. I think it's great. And I'm glad that you love it, too. I'm glad that we have uh, one thing that's in common. Let me ask you a question. Um, uh, I assume you have given thought to your Desert Island comp, uh, and I assume that there is no overlap uh, between mine and yours. But has have there been any matches that have uh, popped up uh, as you've done this that you're like, oh, yeah, that would be on mine, too? I see. I have not done the thought process. Mm, you would be okay. surprised, mostly because I do this so I don't have to think about my own in some ways. I was like, oh, you Got know it. what? I want to get all the perspectives on how everyone else is thinking about this because I still do not know how I would want to approach it. Sure. And it comes in various different flavors. My favorite still being that I started the show with someone who picked matches they do not like. And I <laughs> still find that very funny. <laughs> that, that's, that's a how great. That's a, hey, that's great, actually. I love it. <laughs> They're like, oh, I don't like these matches. I'm going to spend the next however long figuring out. So why do people give a shit about an Okada match? And I was like, yeah. more power to you, I guess. Couldn't be me. Ah, uh, but yeah, like I I don't know at the end of the day. I think there's mm-hmm. definitely some matches like, okay, Joe versus Necro feels like something that should be on the list, but there's sure. hundreds of matches out there. Um, Why is he hundreds? That's not, what kind of fucking sense does that make, JR? There's thousands, about thousands I just of matches. You. I was just going with it. Yeah. I was like, yeah, there's a few hundred there's matches like, there's out like there. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few hundred matches worth worth a, worth a damn. Um, like I got in an argument at a bar one time with a guy who was like, there's only 12 kinds of cheese in the world. And I'm like, that is just preposterously untrue. <laughs> and he, I love he, it. He would not move off of this point. I couldn't prove him wrong. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Oh, man. Oh, man. Are you ready to get into your ankles primos? Yeah, and I have less to say about these. So, uh, you know, mercifully, for those of you that are still listening, you. uh, Let's be honest. If they're still here, it's not. (laughs) They're like, we're right at you. We can go on another hour and they'd be like, yeah, let's go. Yeah, we're in real sicko hours now. I did want to talk about before we get into these. Sorry to derail more, uh, but your mm-hmm. ten matches being the last match came in so late. Was there any thought to the order of these matches, or was it kind of just, "Hey, I wanted to capture the vibes"? Uh, I did give a thought to the order, okay. and the order I think is mostly correct. Uh, the only thing that I think I would change um, if I redid the order is I would put the. Uh, when worlds collide match last. That's fair. I get that. I get that. I would just, I would flip that and the, the elimination trios. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And we have some people that throw in the angles of promos throughout the matches as well. So there are folks that. Oh no, this is straight up good helmet comp. That stuff's on a separate disc at the end. Exactly. Exactly. And first up we have, the I'd like to talk to Tom Angle with Dirty White Boy, Jr. Why we pick it? Uh, so I don't know how many people have seen this. Um, 
but it's probably not okay anymore. It's probably a, <laughs> probably something that you can't do in wrestling. Um, I uh, This one is uh, something that I wanted to pick, not only because it's great, um, like genuinely just a tremendous angle slash heel beatdown, um, but it's also like something that reminds me of a very specific experience. Um, and I, uh, I would want something to capture that experience. Um, I remember seeing it when we were doing GWE for the last time. Um, what a long time ago now, 2016. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Next one's and, um, yeah. Okay. God, I'm not, not prepared. <laughs> um, uh, uh th- there's a there's something about GWE. I think it ended my wrestling fandom. Um, but uh, you and many others. Yeah. Um, I remember being at work, and when Negro Casas came in at like 22, or I just like turned off the computer for the day. I like couldn't deal with it. I was too upset at internet. Um, but. Before that, like, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but like Elliot and a few other people had like an ongoing like uh, channel that you could pop in and just watch wrestling and chat the whole time. Like Discord didn't exist, but it was something like that, you know? Yeah. And um, we watched this angle in there. Uh, and it was like me and Elliot and Matt D and maybe a couple other people. And um, like, we're watching it and we're all just like awestruck, you know? And then I think it was Elliot that was like, why haven't any of the other faces come out to save Tom Pritchard uh, as he's being like literally hung over the ropes by dirty white boy. And, uh, and Matt D responded, I think they're too busy marking out. And, uh, <laughs> and it really just sort of summed it up. I mean, this is like, I don't know. Like I watched this and it's like a visceral wrestling experience for me. It's like, it's almost perfect. Like I, I don't think there's ever been anything that's made me want to see a payoff match more than this angle. You know, <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, marking out um yeah i i think Dre white boy is one of the all-time great wrestling names as well which is it important is. important yeah. note the dirty white boy tony anthony anthony yeah. anthony yeah <laughs> oh man we, we used to be a civilization proper country exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> goodness gracious oh man I think if anything, this angle proves that we were at at no point a proper country. It's true. That's true. Uh, <laughs> but irrespective of that, it was great. <laughs> and that's what's important. That's what's important. Yeah. All right. Next up, number two, we have the Don't Touch My Van promo from Terry Gordy. JR, why does this make it? You know, I... I don't know. I I think when people think of like 80s wrestling promos, like once you get past Hogan and Flair, this is kind of like what people picture in their head. Uh it like Terry Gordy is not a normal person and 
he is reacting in a completely insane way to an insane series of events. Um, but like when you boil this down to its essence, right? It, it what you get is like a simple man in Terry Gordy who has just been deeply hurt by a betrayal of someone that he trusted and was vulnerable in front of. Uh, and he, he's doing this, uh, in, uh, sort of self-harmful way. Um, and he's doing it in front of his other two best friends who are still by his side. And, uh, I don't know. It's, it's immensely beautiful. he, He's being as vulnerable as uh, he, as his culture and his upbringing is allowing him to be, uh, and he's doing it in a way that is immensely funny and entertaining. Um, I uh, I don't know. I I really love Terry Gordy. Um, he uh, he could have made this comp twice because I I thought about the Raven Gordy ECW match from hardcore heaven as one of the matches. He could have made this zero times because I, uh, I really gave heavy consideration to the Mark Henry fake retirement angle instead of this. Um, but I think it's, uh, it's really interesting that he's, uh, someone that I wouldn't necessarily consider a favorite now, but, uh, could have easily appeared on here multiple times. Um, I probably have to sort of reassess that for myself, um, which I think is interesting. I, I like that this exercise um, has made me investigate something about my fandom. That's always healthy. Yeah. I think we've, we've done that a little bit this evening. I'd hope so. I love Terry Gordy as well. Yeah. I think he's, he rules. He is... He's pro wrestling. I think it's also very weird that I'm like, speaking of GWE, I'm like, everyone's talking down on him. Like, hey, he wasn't that good. He was just fine or something like that. And I'm like, no, Terry Gordy rules. I don't know what <laughs> we're talking about. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I there, there there is something to be said for, like, just people who get wrestling and, like, I don't know. Can you point to like a bunch of five star Terry Gordy matches? Yeah, I mean, actually, you can. He's in a bunch of kick ass matches. <laughs> but like, uh, like you, I don't know. Like, it speaks to what kind of voter you want to be. And that's something that like a lot of people don't really investigate before they say that stuff, right? Because like, you have to, like, do you want to vote on a totality of a body of work? Because if you're doing that, your ballot looks very different than voting on, um, you know, uh, somebody's top 10 matches or top 50 matches or something like that, right? Because, like, if you're making a list, like, if you're 100 best wrestlers and you make a conscious decision of, like, okay, the thing that I'm going to value above all else is peak performance, right? Yeah. Like, Terry Gordy could easily be a top 25 wrestler of all time, right? Um, but if you're going to say like, no, like peak performance is something I value, but like, realistically, I want to see someone that was good in ring, like almost every time they were out there, then like 
there's no world where Terry Gordy is better than like, I don't know who's, who's some, you know, someone that I'm not, high, you know, Arn Anderson. I mean, that's a bad <laughs> example because Arn is really good, but like, no, I get it. I get it. I don't know. Like, I, I don't think Regal is particularly good and I don't think Regal is better than Terry Gordy, but I could see why people would say Regal is better than Terry Gordy or, you, you know, like, but, um, I don't know. It's an interesting conversation. And I think it, uh, people need Gordy is a wrestler that like make, should make people investigate their own internal biases or their own internal, uh, like what sort of, uh, voter they are, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Are we moving ready to move on to the final angle? The most important thing. The most on the important. Comp. Speaking of folks that you're going to vote for in GWE, I did vote for him last time. Yeah, I, I believe that. I, I get that. <laughs> Survival to uh, what? Pronounce this for because I'm gonna mess it up and I've never actually heard it said out loud. Survival Tobita yeah. versus Ken the Box, quote unquote <laughs> match. Jr. <laughs> why this make the Desert Island Cop? This match brings me joy. It brings me great joy. Um, I, uh, I, I don't know. I love survival Tobita. Um, he's God's perfect little angel. Um, I, uh, I think he speaks to like how weird wrestling is. This match certainly speaks to how weird wrestling is. Um, it's so stupid. It's so bizarre. It's so cheap. And the crowd is eating it hook, line, and sinker. Um, I mean, they're so hyped for this match, um, which is like 30 seconds long, right? I mean, it's not even a match. Uh, and uh, there's no ring. I mean, like, it's it's nothing, but it's everything. And I, I think when you get into wrestling, uh, to the extent that we're into wrestling, um, there we inevitably become like hypercritical of wrestling. And I think that like when we know about wrestling as much as people like you and I know about wrestling and know about the type of people that become involved in wrestling, you get despondent about like a specific type of broken person that wrestling attracts. Right. And you get um, sickened by the like gross, indignities that wrestling forces upon people and also the like grossness that wrestlers and people involved in wrestling often force upon fans and each other um but i uh this is a nice reminder that um wrestling has an altogether other type of broken weirdo and it's a more joyous broken weirdo. And um, sometimes I need that reminder. And I I just turn this match on or some other similar bizarre match because he has like 500 of them that are all like this. And I love it. And I love that after the match, he gets on the mic and cuts like a rambling Ian Rotten-esque promo. I don't speak Japanese, but people have told me he basically stands there and apologizes for not defeating his opponent. Um, 
and it goes on for a long time and people just walk out as he's doing it. I, amazing. it's amazing. That's it's incredible. so good. Yeah. It's so perfect. I like, I don't know. I'm not like a, I don't love kitsch as a whole <laughs> because I think that a lot of times most kitsch like winks at the, the audience and I, survival. Tobita has never winked at a single person in his life. Like, <laughs> He genuinely thinks this is how you put on wrestling and this is how you make art. And, uh, and, um, wrestling as outsider art is something that is near and dear to my heart. And I think that it's, uh, it's really represented here. And you made a board game. essentially. Yeah. I made a little, I made a little, uh, survival Tobita game. Um, uh, there's actually also an official survival Tobita game that I imported from Japan uh, and oh. I have not played. Uh, so I have that too, but yeah, I have a, I have like a little one page single person RPG about survival Tobita that uh, if you see me to show or whatever, I still, have, I printed a bunch off. I give them away for free. Um, so you can hit me up for one for sure. I love that. That is truly, truly beautiful. And that's it. That's we're done. Yeah, that's the that's the wrap there. Jay, we crushed it. Kind of final thoughts, kind of final words of the comment. I know we've primarily gone through it now, but now that we've kind of hit everything, is there any kind of overarching theme or notes you just want to make at this point? No, I mean, I guess I would encourage anyone that's listened to this to do this exercise for themselves because I think that. Um, it's an exercise that uh, really made me investigate my fandom and really made me investigate the type of wrestling fan that I am and the type of wrestling that I like and uh, the type of wrestling that I want to continue to like, uh, which I think is two different things. And um, I, um, I think that we should always constantly be assessing ourselves as well as assessing the things that we look at critically. Um, because, uh, the, the type of person we are when we consume something is just as important as what we consume and, uh, exercises like this help us get closer to, to that truth. Yeah. I don't think, for most folks, this list will be in a constant state of flux. Your thoughts now will change. You'll discover more. And of course. I think a lot of the lists will occasionally get down to, hey, this is what I'm comfortable with. But I think it's worth kind of continuing that journey to figure out, okay, what else is out there? And sometimes it feels hard, especially right oh, now yeah. in wrestling. In the sense yeah. that I always feel when modern wrestling isn't pushing those boundaries to some extent, you don't feel engaged in that way that it's becomes harder to go back and broaden from there. I've seen folks like Chad Campbell do it where he'll watch all of 2001 pro wrestling across the globe. And I think that is a bonkers task that. I could not do. I can nope. barely watch the wrestling that I'm told to watch once a week for another podcast, let alone the entirety of a whole different year on earth. 
but there's just so much out there. And based on this t- today, we're talking about, okay, yeah, I haven't seen over half this list. I am feeling energized right now. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm with you a hundred percent. Like it's hard to, to get up. Like I'm at a, I'm at a low point in my wrestling fandom. I think right now, um, uh, at least a low point since like 2003 or something like that, you, you know? Um, and when I started this exercise, I was like, man, are there 10 wrestling matches that I like? <laughs> and, uh, like, and I, I seriously asked myself that question, you, you know? And then by the end of it, I was like really struggling to, to narrow things down, you know? I mean, there's, there's three or four matches that easily could have been on here in place of something else. And I think if you asked me this a month from now, there'd probably be even more um, things that I just didn't think of or forgetting that are important to me. Um, you know, uh, so I don't know. I, I think that's awesome. Um, I, I also feel slightly reinvigorated uh, about professional wrestling because of this exercise. Absolutely. JR, where can we find you on the internet? I am on Twitter at Wrestling Bubble. Uh, and, uh, if you want to see that survival to beat a game, uh, you can go to my itch page, which is, uh, jrgoldb.itch.io. Uh, when I made that name, I did not realize that, uh, it made it look like it was jrgoldbitch.io, but there we go. That's where we're at. That's, uh, that's, that's in the can. So we're good. That's it. Amazing. I love it. Mm-hmm. You can follow the We Don't Know Wrestling Podcast Network at WDKWPN on Twitter to keep up with all of the new releases in the feed. It has been a... I, I actually don't know exactly when this will be coming out, so I will refrain from giving any specifics anymore. Uh, thank you all for listening. I hope you have had as good time listening as I have. And we'll be back next time.